I am thankful to be here today. And uh, I'm glad that you're here today. And uh, I'm excited about having the opportunity to share the word of the Lord with you this morning as we've come together to, uh, to worship together. And it's been good already. Amen. Amen. There is uh, no place like Sequoia Hills Baptist Church. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, we've, we've been blessed to visit a lot of churches, and I've had the opportunity to speak at other churches, and there's no place like Sequoia Hills Baptist Church. So I'm glad to be here this morning, and I'm glad that you're here this morning, and I, my prayer and my hope is, is that the Holy Spirit will be the teacher this morning, and I'm just the mouthpiece, and before you leave here, that you've heard from the Lord. Because that's what I, that's my prayer, that's my aim, and, and listen, if you hear from me, you haven't heard anything today, so my prayer is that you hear from the Lord, and I believe God's given me a message of encouragement for you today, and so I just want to dive in, I want us to break the bread of life together this morning, and, and I want us to have a great time. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to Hebrews chapter 6. Now, we're going to, we're going to do a lot of different things this morning, but we're ultimately going to wind up back at Hebrews chapter 6, and if... You use a smartphone or a tablet for a Bible app, that's fine with me. I have no problem with that. I just ask that you don't play solitaire or angry birds while I'm teaching this morning. But, uh, but let's, just, let's just have a good time in the Lord this morning. And let's ask the Lord to teach us something great and something awesome while we're here together. And that I hope that you'll leave different than when you came because you've been in the presence of God and because you've been taught the Word of God. Let's join in a, together in a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we are so grateful for the privilege and the awesome opportunity to come together to worship you. The freedom that we have in this country, Father, to, to gather in a place like this and to lift up your name and to sing about how amazing you are, about your grace, and Father, about the expectation we have for you to do something great and awesome in this place today. And Father, that's what we ask right now in these moments. We thank you for the time of music and worship that we've had. And Father, now we come to say, would you continue to reveal and manifest your presence in this place through the teaching of your word? Father, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross this morning and that what is heard and what is spoken this morning is what, Holy Spirit, you want your people to hear. And Father, I pray that when we're finished today, that we'll be different. And I pray, Father, that you receive all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the book of Hebrews this morning. In order for us to study the book of Hebrews, I'm very passionate about making sure that we uh, understand the context in which the message is written. The message today is a message of encouragement. God gave me this message several weeks ago when Brother Jamie had asked me if I would be interested in coming. I said, man, let me pray about it. And, and I prayed about it. And then the next day I called him and said, yeah, man, I'd love to come. And, uh, but God had given me a message, I believe, specifically for you in one of my morning quiet times. And man, as I was reading through and studying this passage, I thought, this is a word for Sequoia Hills Baptist Church. And the word this morning is be encouraged, be encouraged. And so we're going to look at it out of chapter 6. But before we get there, we need to kind of understand the context of what's happening in the book of Hebrews in order to understand why we need to be encouraged and maybe you're here today and you're going to find yourself in the place where some of these folks are in the book of Hebrews and you specifically need to be encouraged today. And so I want us to kind of put everything together in context and then we'll start and look at our focal passage this morning. Let's first of all get a little bit of background about the book of Hebrews. First of all, does anybody know who the author of Hebrews is? It's unknown. We really don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Now, there's a lot of guesses, and some people will say Paul, and some people will say others. 
But the reality is, the fact is, we have no idea who taught, who wrote the book of Hebrews. In fact, it's, it's believed that the book of Hebrews was actually a sermon, not a letter. So in other words, many of Paul's were letters. They were letters to the churches, giving them instruction and giving them direction. The feel of this letter is more like a pastor delivering a message, a message of urgency and a message of importance to the people to whom he was communicating. So that would be the second question. In order for us to understand the context of what's happening in this book, we would ask the question, who was the book of Hebrews written to? Well, uh, we understand, first of all, that it was written to the Jews, and specifically it was written to the Jews who had trusted in Jesus Christ. You remember when Jesus came, the Jews rejected Jesus. And then there was a group that began to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They began to trust in Him. They came to faith in Him. And so this book is written specifically to Jews, thus the word Hebrews. That's another word for Jew, another word for the nation of Israel, the people of the nation of Israel. So it's written to Hebrews, but specifically there is an amount of evidence in the book, and we're going to look at some of it this morning, that we know that the book was written to believers in Jesus Christ. Now when you understand this, when you understand that this book was written to believers, it helps clarify some of these passages in this text that can be very confusing. So when we understand it was written to Jewish believers, then the next thing, why was it written? Well, it was written to warn and encourage believers who, because of difficult circumstances, were on the brink of turning away from living, listen, the Christian life. The whole purpose of this book, the whole purpose of the message that this pastor preached was to say to these people, these Jewish believers, who were turning back to the Old Testament law, who were turning back to the old sacrificial system, he was warning them, he was encouraging them, he was prophesying to them that they needed to continue to live by faith in Jesus Christ. They needed to continue to live the Christian life and not go back to the old ways of life. At the time that this book was written, which was about 60, most believe about 60 AD, that would have been about 30 years after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven. Those who had put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Jews who had put their faith in Jesus Christ, were heavily persecuted. They were under all kinds of pressure to, okay, it's fine to believe in Jesus, but you still need to practice the Old Testament law. It's okay to put your faith in Jesus Christ and to believe in Him, but you still need to do the sacrificial system. And there was unbelievable pressure during that time, especially for the Jewish people. And it was difficult, it was hard to live this life of faith, to separate yourself from the law and to walk in faith. This book, like I said, many believe it's just a pastor's heart urging them to get back to that. And if you look at the outline for the book of Hebrews, as you go through the book of Hebrews, what the writer really begins to say in the biggest context is, Jesus Christ is better. That's what he says. Jesus Christ is better than the angels. He goes on to say, Jesus Christ is better than the high priest. Jesus Christ is better than all the sacrifices of the Old Testament and the sacrificial system. Jesus Christ is better than the law. Friends, as Christians, as believers, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't live under the law anymore. We live by grace. We live by faith. The Christian life is the life lived by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't live under the law anymore. Thank God we've been set free from the law and from the curse of the law. And we can live as believers in Jesus Christ under the grace of God and by faith in Him. Amen. The Bible says to live in the same way that you were saved. How are we saved? We're saved by faith 
in Jesus Christ. The point is, is that Jesus Christ and faith in him is the best way. Faith in Jesus Christ is all that's needed for salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ, believing in him, is all that's required in order to gain eternal life and a home in heaven. We know this. We've looked at this passage of scripture before. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, so that nobody can boast. It's not anything you can do. Friends, listen. Eternal life is simply this. It's putting your faith or your belief in what Jesus Christ did when he came to this earth, died on a cross, rose again. He paid for your sin. He died in your place. And through the power of God, he arose from the grave. And he lives today. He ascended and sent it to the right hand of the Father. And you put your faith in him and what he did and not in anything that you can do. That's how you get eternal life and salvation. It's as simple as that. But God goes on to say in this, and, and the writer of this through the Holy Spirit says, but we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. That God decided before the foundation of the world, every one of your lives, God had a plan for your life. Every one of you, before Jesus Christ ever came and died on a cross, before you were ever born, before your parents were ever born, before there was the sun and the moon and the stars, God had in his mind a plan for your life. And his desire is that he wants to save you. He wants to reconcile you back into a relationship with himself that you are separated of because of sin. Not only your sin, but the sin of Adam. From the very beginning, we're all born separated from God. And he sent his son to bring us back, to reconcile us into a relationship with himself. Why? So that we could walk in this plan that he has for us. And if that's not good enough, by giving us a home in heaven and a relationship with him, that when we get there, he will reward us for living the life that he created us to live. He's an awesome God. He is an awesome God. And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to look and see in this passage of scripture, there are, these Jews had turned away from living this Christian life. They had turned away from walking by faith. And sometimes I'm sure in your life, you've had those moments. I mean, if I were to ask you to raise your hand here this morning, most of us could raise our hand. And certainly if we can't for our own lives personally, we certainly can because we know somebody who at one point in time put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Man, they may have been on fire for God. You may have been on fire for God. But then something happened. A difficulty came in life. Circumstances changed. And all of a sudden, you quit reading your Bible. You quit spending time in prayer. Maybe even quit coming to church. Maybe you didn't even want to be around believers in Jesus Christ. You didn't want to be around Christian people. And you got away from the Lord. Listen, that's where these folks are. The persecution came, the difficulty to live the Christian life by faith came, and all of a sudden they find themselves away from God, and they've turned away, and they're back in the old system of the law and of the sacrifices, and we're going to see what the writer has to say about that today. And we want to know and understand that we are saved by faith and that we live by faith in Jesus Christ. We don't do good works to earn salvation. We don't do good works to keep our salvation. We don't have to do good works to prove our salvation. There's nothing about good works that's, com that's, that's connected to eternal life in Jesus Christ. But God calls us to do good works because we are believers in Jesus Christ, because of what God has done for us. He has called us to live this life of faith, to do good works, to fulfill the purpose for which he created us. So we're going to look at this this morning. And, and we all understand where we're coming from in that instance. 
And what, hap what has happened here is the, the pastor, the writer, is brokenhearted about what's going on. And let me just tell you, friend, if you're away from the Lord this morning, if you're out there on the edge of making that decision to go back to the old life or living this Christian life by faith, which is difficult and hard, or maybe you've already turned away, and for some reason God brought you back here this morning, this message is for you. I want you to know God is brokenhearted and God is sad because you're missing out on the opportunity to store up treasure in heaven and to gain rewards when one day you'll stand face to face with Jesus. Jesus Christ and he can say to you well done good and faithful servant and you'll stand before his seat and he will be able to reward you for the things that you've done now I said earlier our focal verse is uh, verse chapter 6 and we're gonna look at verses 9 through 12 but before we get there we need to kind of see what's happening we need to get up to that point to put in context what's going on so I want us to kind of back up a little bit to chapter 5 and we're going to kind of skim through the end of 5 and a little bit through 6 to get us to the point where we can look at our passages again because the passages don't have meaning outside the context of what we're studying it's always important to understand the context so back up to chapter 5 and let's look at verse 11 and 12 and notice what the scripture says concerning him him is Jesus Christ the writer says concerning Jesus we have much to say and it's hard to explain why because you have become dull of hearing. For this time, he says, you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles and oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. Who's he talking to, believers or unbelievers? He's talking to believers. And he said, listen, you all ought to be teachers. I have so, much th so many things to teach you about Jesus Christ, the deep things of God. The things that can help you grow and mature in your faith. But the problem is we keep having to come back to this element again of the fundamental things. What is the fundamental thing? The fundamental thing is, is that you're saved by faith, not by works of the law, and not by the Old Testament sacrificial system. He said we have to keep coming back to this because you keep wanting to go back to the old system. And that's what he's saying here. I have so much, so many other things to teach you, but we have to keep coming back and teaching the elementary things. I keep having to come back and feed you like a baby. I have to give you milk because you're not ready to eat the meat of all that God has for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. So instead of teaching them those things because they become dull, he says we have to go back over and over again the fundamentals. Let's fast forward a little bit into chapter 6 and he goes on to say, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. Again, we're just continuing along this line. He says, listen, you ought to be teachers. And then he says, let's leave those elementary things behind. Let's press on to maturity. Here's a charge to those people who were, had turned away from God, those who were standing on the verge, on the brink of turning their back on living by faith and, and going back to the Old Testament system. He gives them this charge. He says, listen, having, let's put away those things and let's press on. What is he saying? He's just simply saying, let me put it in today's terms. He says, grow up. That's what he's saying. He says, grow up. You ought to know the elementary things. It's time to, to move forward. You ought to be at this point in your life deep enough and know enough that you ought to be able to teach others. And let me tell you, I know many of you in the crowd, and, and I would say the same thing to you. Many of you are great examples. Many of you are great teachers. And some of you, you need to be challenged. You need to be charged to grow up because you need to be discipling. You need to be teaching. You need to be leading other people. 
to grow and to mature in Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. It's part of our work as believers in Jesus Christ. So, so we move forward. He says, okay, so here they are. They're, they've turned back. Some are thinking about turning back. He says, listen, let's press on to maturity. There's better things ahead. We're going to see in just a moment. But before we get there, we need to deal with verses 4 through 6 of chapter 6 because there's two reasons. One is, this is a very confusing passage if you don't understand it. And I don't want you to ever be confused about the Word of God. It's not a confusing book. You have the Holy Spirit in you who can help you discern and understand. So I want to clear that up. Then the second thing is, this absolutely lays the context for what we're going to look at here in just a moment. So what does he say in verses 4 through 6? This is what he says. For in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, who've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, who've tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and let's stop right there. Now, if you look at all of those things, I think there are five or six of them there. Who is that talking about? Is that talking about believers or unbelievers? It's talking about believers, right? He says you become enlightened. What's that mean? You have understanding. We know from uh, the book of Corinthians, the letter that Paul wrote, he said, the natural man doesn't understand. He can't comprehend the things of the Spirit. He can't understand God's Word. It's foolishness to him. Why? Because it's spiritually discerned. Listen, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you understand the Word of God. It becomes automatic. He goes on to say, you've tasted of the heavenly gift. What's the heavenly gift? It's the love of God. It's the eternal life that's promised to you, a home in heaven. He says, you become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you. Does an unbeliever ever have the Holy Spirit? No. When do we get the Holy Spirit? The moment we're saved. The moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He promises that the Holy Spirit will take up residence in our life. And then we are to live by faith. We are to walk by the Spirit. In other words, we are to allow the Spirit to control our lives. So there's no question here. We could go through the rest of it. But he's talking to believers. And then look what he says next. So we know we're talking to believers. To all those people who got the Holy Spirit, tasted of all these gifts, he says, and then have fallen away. Does that mean they lost their salvation? Absolutely not. What does it mean? It means they've fallen away from fellowship with God, from walking in faith, from living the Christian life. Listen, there are a lot of people who take this passage of Scripture and teach out of this that you can lose your salvation. Listen, friends, it's not possible to lose your salvation. If it were possible for you to lose your salvation, John 3.16 cannot be true. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting or eternal life. Let me just ask you, how long is eternal? It's forever. So either John 3.16 is true, or this can mean that you can lose your salvation. Friends, I'm going to tell you, you can't lose your salvation. John 10, 28, 29, and 30, Jesus said, I give eternal life to them. How long? Eternal, forever. They will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. The Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and nobody can snatch them out of the Father's hand. John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, These things to you, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. Friends, let me just tell you something. Once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will never lose your salvation. So this verse cannot possibly be teaching about losing salvation. So what is it teaching? It's teaching and it's talking to who? Those who have walked away from God. Those who have turned back to the Old Testament law, the Old Testament sacrificial system. And notice what he says. They've fallen away. It's impossible to renew them again. 
to repentance. That's, repentance means one thing, change of the mind. That's what it means. In the original language, it means to change your mind. Since they again crucified in themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. What's the reader saying here? He said those who've walked away, those who are not living by faith, those who are not walking in the Christian life, they've fallen away, and unless they change their mind, it's impossible to restore them again. Because why? They've gone back to the old sacrificial system. So they're sacrificing on a regular basis. And what are they saying? Jesus' sacrifice wasn't sufficient enough. They're putting him to shame. Jesus died on the cross for no reason at all. If we've got to go back and still do the old sacrifices and the Old Testament. So don't let anybody tell you you can lose your salvation and point to this passage of Scripture because number one, you can't lose your salvation. And number two, that's not what this verse says. So putting it in context with where we are, here's these Jewish believers. They've turned back to the Old Testament law. They've turned back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And the writer comes to our focal passage, chapter 6, six verses 9 through 12. And I'm going to tell you, if you're here this morning and maybe you can relate, maybe you're in that position where you've walked away from God or maybe you're there right now. And you just you say, man, I just, it's too hard to live this life of faith. It's too hard to live the Christian life. It's too hard to stay in fellowship with God. It's too hard to get up every day and spend time in God's Word. It's too hard to get up and spend time in prayers. It's too hard to go to church on Sunday and, and be involved and minister and teach and all of those things. Listen, God has a message for you today, and it's right here in verses 9 through 12. Listen to what God has to say to you. Here's what he says. But beloved... We are convinced of better things concerning you. And things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust to forget your works and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you will not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Listen, there are some great truths that we want to glean out of this in the few moments that we have remaining. It's a message of encouragement. So the first thing that I want you to know this morning is be encouraged. There are better things ahead. Be encouraged. There are better things ahead. For those who are on the brink of taking the misstep and walking away from the Christian life, the writer here, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking to us today, says, listen, you need to be encouraged. There are better things ahead for you. He says not only are they better things, but they're things that accompany salvation, things that belong with salvation. What belongs with salvation? We saw it back in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ministry, service, loving people in the power of the Holy Spirit, teaching, discipling, mentoring. Things that accompany the Holy Spirit are, are walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things, friends, that accompany salvation. And the writer says, though I've been speaking to you like I've been speaking. And listen, if you go back and you study the first five chapters, this is what he's been doing. He's been slapping them on the back of the hand and he says, listen, there's a better way. Listen, you don't need to go back to that old life. Live by faith. You were saved by faith. Live by faith. And he's been chiding them. And he comes to this one little section in all the book of Hebrews 
a very small section of encouragement, and he says, listen, there are better things ahead for you, and they're the things that accompany, that go with salvation. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're thinking about stepping away, I want you to know there are better things for you. There are better things ahead. I believe for Sequoia Hills Baptist Church, there are better things ahead for you under the leadership of your pastor. I believe there are better things ahead for this church to reach out into this community. There are better things in ministry and in service. I'm convinced of it. The writer was convinced of it for those who are struggling at this time. And they are things that God wants to see happen in your life. So the first thing is be encouraged. There are better things ahead. Here's the second thing. The second thing is this. Be encouraged. God does not forget your work. Be encouraged. God does not forget your work. Look what he says here. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and is still ministering to the saints. What is he saying? He's saying to those who had turned away, those who had gone back to the Old Testament law and the Old Testament sacrificial system, he's saying to them, listen, you guys got saved, you put your faith in Christ, you were on fire and things got tough and you turned back. But listen, it's not too late because God hasn't forgotten what you did for him when you were on fire, when you were walking by faith and when you were living the Christian life. Listen, if you're here this morning... And you, you find yourself in that position where you feel a long way from God. You're not walking in fellowship. You're out of step. You're not spending time in the Word. You're not spending time in prayer. Listen, let me encourage you. God has not forgotten from where you came. See, there's this idea sometimes that we live the Christian life and maybe we do good for a while and then, then we, we find ourselves in a situation, we make a poor decision, we start moving away from God and we find ourselves out here and we think, man, I've blown it, everything I've done is for naught. And one day I'm going to get to heaven and all I'm going to do is be scolded by God because I walked away. Listen, let me just tell you something. That's, that's a lie from the enemy. The enemy would love to tell you, man, everything you've done for God, it's all forgotten. It's all in the past. You'll never be able to get back there again. You can't get any gain, any reward. You'll never hear well done. Let me tell you something. That's a lie of the devil. Because the Bible says God doesn't forget what you did for him. You see, when we, when we fall away from walking with God... We don't lose what we've already gained as far as rewards go. What we lose is the opportunity to earn more. And you need to hear that. If you fall away from the Lord and you find yourself out here in a foreign land, maybe you served Him for 20 years as a believer in Jesus Christ, and maybe you walked hand in hand with God, maybe you led people to Christ, and maybe you discipled them, something happened in your life and you walked away from God and you're out there in a foreign land. Let me tell you, God hadn't forgotten all this stuff and one day you're going to stand before Him. One day you're going to give an account to Jesus Christ for your life. And I want you to know that when you stand before that, what's called the Bema Seat of Jesus Christ, the rewarding stand, that's literally what it means in the Greek, the rewarding stand. When you stand before it, He's going to reward you for everything that you've done. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 14, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. There's a day coming when every believer in Jesus Christ is going to stand before God. We don't go before the judgment seat. That's for unbelievers. We go before the Bema seat, which is the rewarding stand where God and Jesus Christ are going to reward you for all the things that you've done in this life. 
Listen, if you're out in that foreign land, if you walked away from living by faith, you haven't lost what you had before, but you're losing every day the opportunity to gain more reward. That's what inspires the writer of this message in this sermon to say is that, listen, you need to get back to where you were because you're missing the opportunity to gain reward in the future. God hasn't forgotten about what you've done. God hasn't forgotten about what you're still doing, but he is wanting you to be back in a relationship with him so that you can gain reward. So we understand, first of all, that we can be encouraged because there's better things ahead. Second of all, God hasn't forgotten about what we've done. And here's the third one, and that is this. Be encouraged diligently grow. Be encouraged to diligently grow. He says in verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. He says be diligent. Why? So that you can realize the full assurance of hope. Live, listen, living the Christian life is like riding a bicycle. If you're not pedaling, if you're not moving forward, you're going to fall off. There's no kickstand on the Christian life. There's no opportunity to put down the kickstand and just sit there for a little while. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. So when we think about being diligent in the Christian life, we think about that Greek word literally means an earnest, continual effort. The word that's translated for diligent means earnest, and continued effort. That means I have to every day get up and think about how am I going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? How am I going to walk in step with the Holy Spirit today? How am I going to exercise my faith today in the things that are going to be before me in this life? So if you're going to move forward, you've got to grow up and you've got to mature. You've got to serve God. You've got to fulfill the purpose for which he created you. And let me just tell you, it will not happen without you being intentional about growing, without you being purposeful, without you being consistent. Let me take you back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and verse 2. We, we studied this when we went through the book of Romans several years ago. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you'll know what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I want you to understand this verse. Let's cover it again real quick. He says, being diligent means I've got to be intentional about growing. This verse says that if you're going to grow in Christ, you can't be conformed to this world. You have to be transformed. Listen, transformation happens from the inside out. Transformation happens from the inside out. How do I change the inside? I renew my mind. The things that transform me are the things that I put into my mind, that I put into my heart, that I put into my life. And what you need to be putting into your life is the Word of God. You need to be putting it in by studying it. You need to be putting it in by reading it. You need to be putting it in by listening to it. You need to be putting it in by somebody teaching you. And let me just tell you, for those who've grown up a little bit, you need to be putting it into your life so you can be putting it into somebody else's life. You'll never learn more of God's Word than when you have to turn around and teach God's Word. So he says, how do you do it? You renew from the inside out by renewing your mind, putting the things in there. Because listen, I said it's like riding a bicycle. If you're not going forward, you're falling off or going backwards. If you're not transforming yourself, if you're not being intentional about putting the word of God into your life and spending time in relationship with God and the Holy Spirit, let me just tell you what's happening. You're being conformed to this world. 
Now, the difference between transformation and being conformed is this. Transformation is inside out. Being conformed is being pressed and molded from the outside. Let me just tell you, there is nothing in this world. There is nothing within your human flesh, your sinful nature, apart from God. There is nothing in you that will help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what television station you turn to, what radio station you turn to, what circumstances of life you face at work or at home or in the world from day to day. Let me just tell you, the prince of the power of the air of this world is the devil and he will do everything he can to keep you from growing, to push you down, to pull you out, to drag you away from growing up, from maturing in Jesus Christ. So we as believers have to be diligent we have to be consistent. We have to be earnest about renewing our mind, putting the things in it so that we can grow up, so that we can know what he says, the full assurance of the hope. Listen, if you're a believer, you have hope. You're going to have eternal life. You're going to have a home in heaven. But the problem is too many believers and Christians live in this world and they don't walk by faith and they don't live in step with God and they don't understand the full assurance of it and that's why they get beat down every day. The writer says, listen, if you'll be diligent, then you're going to understand the full assurance of the hope. You're going to get it as you get up and live life every day. So be encouraged. Diligently grow. And then the fourth one. Here's what he says. Be encouraged to imitate godly examples. Be encouraged to imitate godly examples. You see, those believers, those Jewish believers, they had quit being uh, in consistent and they had quit being diligent about growing because they had taken their eyes off of the things that would help them grow. He says here in verse uh, 12, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let me ask you, do you think Moses and Abraham and Matthew and Luke Paul and Peter, you think they had it easy to live the life of faith? Absolutely not. I mean, you think about Abraham, he left everything to follow God, to walk with God. He left his family, he left his friends, he left his fortune. You think about Paul, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, and he lived by faith. He continued to preach the message of faith. You think about Peter. Was his life easy? Did he easily just walk by faith? Absolutely not. When he was confronted, what did he do? He denied even knew Jesus. Listen, we have all kinds of biblical examples. These guys weren't perfect, but they lived by faith. In fact, if you go over a few chapters to chapter 11, it's known as the hall of what? Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the hall of faith, and if you read that chapter, man... You ought to just read that chapter for the next week. Every morning, get up and read Hebrews chapter 11 and look at all of those men and women who lived by faith, who were victors in this life, who walked in faith and lived a Christian life and were successful at it. And God recognizes them. Why? Because they lived by faith. Was it because they were perfect? Absolutely not. Many of them made mistakes, but they got in the hall of faith. Why? Because they lived by faith. They didn't go back and say, well, we, we're going to believe in Jesus, but we've got to do all this other stuff too. 
No, it's living, it's believing in Jesus and walking in that faith day by day, putting the things in their heart and in their mind that were the things of God. They were serving God. They were in that loop and connected to the things that helped them grow. Listen, we are challenged to imitate. You know what that Greek word for imitate is? It's mimetai. You know what other English word we get from that? Mimic. That's what the writer's saying. He says, listen, be imitators. Mimic those people in the Bible and people that you know in your life who are godly examples, who will encourage you, who will challenge you, who will draw you up to their level as believers in Jesus Christ by their walk of faith. Listen, every one of you ought to have somebody that is helping you, encouraging you, and holding you accountable. And you ought to have somebody else that you're helping, encouraging, and holding accountable. That's part of the work, the service of, that we are called to do as believers in Jesus Christ and making disciples. But you need somebody that you can imitate as godly examples. And let me just tell you, this book is full of them. My daughter and I were having a conversation uh, a couple of nights ago. She was reading to me a blog of a, of a young freshman student at Oklahoma State University. And she was dialoguing with this guy. And the conversation was about how she was challenged to live the Christian life as a freshman at Oklahoma State, being away from home, being away from her home church, being away from her support group for the first time in her life, and the challenges that, that she had already faced and that she knew she was going to face, and she wanted to continue to walk by faith. And she was reading, and you know what she was using as an example? She was using Nehemiah. And I'm telling you, this gal can preach in any pulpit in the nation and teach truth. I told my daughter, I said, that's somebody you need to imitate. And I said, and she's imitating Nehemiah. Nehemiah, with all the distractions and all the frustrations and all the things that were challenging him to build the walls, he said, listen, I'm doing too good of a work to come down and deal with those nuts. I'm going to stay up here, and I'm going to do my job. Listen, this book is full of godly examples that you and I need to imitate, that we need to mimic, that we need to try and follow. Then finally, one last truth, and this is a good one. Be encouraged. Why? Because... God is faithful and will keep his promises. You can be encouraged. No matter where you are today, God's going to keep his promises. The writer's saying to those who had turned away, to those who were right there trying to make the decision, were they going to continue to live by faith? Was it going to be easy? No. But they needed to make that decision or were they going to turn back to the old way? He says, listen, God is faithful and God's going to keep his promises. He says, be imitators of those who faith and patience get what? Inherit the promises. What are the promises of God? We could spend the rest of the day talking about the promises God's made to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. He's promised you abundant life while you're here on this earth. He's promised you a home in heaven. He's promised to meet every need that you have according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's promised that he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's promised that one day you're going to get to live free from the influence of sin forever and forever. We, friends, we could go on and on and on about the promises that God has made to us as believers in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know today I'm convinced of one thing with absolute certainty. God will not let one of those promises go unfulfilled. As a believer in Jesus, you can count on the fact that God is faithful and he will keep his promises. In fact, the writer goes on to say in this very next section, he talks about the promises of God. And look what he says in verse 18 and 19. He says, it is impossible for God to lie. And we who have taken refuge would have a strong encouragement to take hold of the hope 
set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. What is that hope? That God makes a promise and he will keep his promises. Friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, God has so much he wants for you. Both in this life, so that if you live and fulfill the purpose that God created you for, he's got so much more for you in eternity. You need to be encouraged today. I'm encouraged. I believe in Sequoia Hills Baptist Church. I believe in what God is doing here and what God is going to do here. I believe in each one of you as individuals. I'm convinced God has better things for you. I, God wants you to grow up. He wants you to be diligent. He wants you to know there are better things ahead. He's not forgotten where you've been, and he's going to continue to reward you for what you do. One day you're going to stand before him, and he's going to fulfill every promise that he ever made. What a day that will be. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. God is faithful. And he has so much ahead for you. Let me ask you to bow your heads all across the For just a moment, I just want you to reflect on what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about today. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Him, serving Him, living by faith. But I do know this. God's Word is faithful and true. And He's here this morning, in these moments, and all He wants is for you to respond. It's right where you're at in your heart to just be honest with God. And maybe if you're a long ways away, Maybe you're standing there on the verge of taking the step to saying, you know, I just don't know if I can continue to live this life of faith. Things are hard at work for me to live by faith. Things are hard at home for me to live by faith. Things are hard in my relationships to live by faith. Things are hard in my finances to live by faith. Be encouraged. There are better things ahead for you. If you'll be diligent and know that God is faithful. Father, I thank you for your grace. Grace that when we're in those moments, maybe we've walked away or maybe we're on the verge of walking away. Or there's people here today that are right, set, flint, and they're being faithful. And God, they're just gaining reward in, in eternity, and they can be encouraged today because you're going to fulfill the promise of, of rewarding all that they've done. But Father, when we get out there in that foreign land, when we, we get away from spending time with you and and serving you and, and being a part of what you're doing. Lord, we look back sometimes and we say, man, it's such a long way back. I thank you that you're standing right where we walked away. You've never left. And all you're waiting is for us to turn around and you'll reach out and you'll draw us back to yourself. So this morning in these few moments, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to work and teach us. Father, that we will leave this place encouraged to know you're faithful. That we can live this life. We can be victors in it. And one day we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I pray that you would just, again, speak to each one of us individually. And move in a way that only you can. We thank you for your grace and your love. And that what the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary's cross makes all of this possible through Him. In Jesus' name, amen.